Thanks for joining and welcome to the Focusrite Pro podcast. This is a show where we sit down with engineers, artists, producers, and product specialists on the cutting edge of pro audio. I'm Tom Edwards, U.S. Marketing Manager at Focusrite Pro, and in this episode, I sit down with Christian Leggy Langdon, producer and engineer behind acts like Amos Lee, Joseph, Meg, and many more. Leggy originally got into pro audio as a musician. He was signed to a label at only 15 years old. His early music career came with a lot of interesting experiences, from hanging out with the Osbournes, this was before the MTV show came out, to watching Tom Lord Algae mix one of his records. But as exciting as it may have been, he couldn't shake a constant feeling that he had so much more to offer if he were just allowed to turn some of these knobs and faders himself. He tried and failed a few times to get more creative control from his label and eventually came up with a way to kind of trick them into giving him his first shot as a producer. Leggy's come a long way since then. His LA-based production studio features a unique Cubase and Pro Tools workflow with a mega session template of over 100 ready-to-record tracks tied to his analog synths, software instruments, and other production elements, all powered by Dante and RedNet. Without further ado, here's Leggy Langdon with the Focusrite Pro podcast. So, uh, first of all, thank you for, for joining me on the podcast here. First time for me, first time for you. Thank you for having me, Tom. I'm uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Yeah. To start with, just tell us who you are and, uh, and what you do. Well, my name is Christian Leggy Langdon, my full title, but uh, most people call me Leggy or Legs, if you want. I am a producer, a songwriter, and a mix engineer, former artist, gone to the other side of the glass, and <laughs> been in the biz for 25 years, believe it or not. So, yeah, I guess that actually leads pretty well into my... To my first question, uh, before before we you know started the official interview here, Leggy and I were talking about some UA stuff. One of the first things I wanted to bring up is I saw one of the the Luna live streams that you did, mm -hmm. uh, where you were kind of like you like produced a section of a song on the fly, and it was I was kind of blown away. You kind of produced this sounding like a, a chart topping pop song, just kind of like casually off the cuff and it just made me like is this something that has always come natural to you you've just kind of been like inclined towards producing and, and creating music or how did you get started with it um thanks tom yeah um yeah i mean look it's not natural i've had a desire to connect with music right since i was a kid and music's always been a big part of my life and um i just try kind of wanted to figure out how to do it. So I've always been interested in the the process of making music. So when I was listening to records when I was a kid, I was like always obsessed with like who made it, like what's going on there, tried to figure it out. This is like pre-internet days, you know, so you couldn't... No, no, You're like head next to the speaker trying yeah. to like decipher. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And it, do you mean in terms of uh, like melody and song structure or actual engineering of, of music? I mean, all or, of it, all of it really. So, so for me, like, it's just how am I going to get this idea in my mind out and through the speakers? And yeah. I I remember when I was about, 
when I was first in my early bands, I was 15, so at school. And it's like back then, if you wanted to go make a demo, you had to go to the local lame 16 track studio with a mm-hmm. dude there that doesn't care at all about you or your music because all he does yeah, all and day. there's always this i remember doing that a little bit of that myself when i was younger there's always this pressure too of like trying to get a take right mm-hmm. and sometimes you're not happy with the take but you're like yeah it's fine let's you know let's move on because yeah. you feel like you're yeah yeah you know, i mean you got like basically you'd book like an eight hour session or a 12 hour session you'd have 16 tracks you know on the multi-track of like quarter inch it was like Tascam quarter inch something. And yeah, you, I remember you get to like track 16 and you'd be like, can we get, we run out of tracks and you'd be like, you'd have a 24 track machine, but you wouldn't, you'd have to pay more money if you would go over the 16 tracks. So I'd be like, I want to put a tambourine on. And you'd be like, well, you've already filled your 16 tracks up, mate. So <laughs> it's going to cost you, you know, you have to pay for 24 tracks. Can't we have track 17? Just track 17 with the tambourine. No, yeah, sorry. It's 16 like or 24, you know? So, but yeah, anyway, so, so I remember feeling that I was losing control of my music when I was going into the studio, you know, that was... How old were you, by the way, when, when you were going? About 15, yeah. About 15. It was the first time I did a demo. It was for a Battle of the Bands competition, I remember it, and it was like, we had to send a demo in. And so I, my brother was in a band before me. So it was just like, I just asked him like, where, where could get demo done? It was my friend who's become a mentor. He became a mentor of mine the studio called the billiard room studios in Leeds, the UK, check it out. Still there. And he, we just went in to do this demo. And I remember thinking, okay, so now I've written these songs, I've got this band, but now I'm going to have to kind of hand over all of this. He's twiddling all the knobs. Mm. Like it doesn't matter how well I play. I play the hell out of this thing, you know, Mm -hmm. or not, whatever. We weren't great at the time, but you know, I just knew that there's so much control there within engineering and the production, I realized the power of it in that first session. It was actually immediate to me because I was already doing like four track stuff at home, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was already making demos with a little like Elisis HR16 drum machine and a Tascam four track, right? And then you bounce the tracks, just keep bouncing three to one, three to one, three to one. You have like 40 Mm -hmm. tracks on on one track with a bunch of noise. And so I was already into it. But then I went to the studio and I was like, well, now I don't know what the hell's going on. So I'm going to have to find out, you know? So I actually, the guy that ran that studio, this guy, Carl, he became my kind of Obi-Wan, you know, and kind of, and just let me, he was like the first guy that just let me jump on the, on the board, you know? And like, he didn't Mm -hmm. really teach me anything. He just let me do it, you know? And kind of, then he'd be like, oh, maybe you try this. And, you know, but it was really empowering for me for him to just kind of he started to encourage me because you could see the, des- yeah. the desire that I had to kind of it was like a missing piece for me because I already had all the ideas at that time in my mm-hmm. head about what I wanted but I couldn't do it because I didn't know how to do that stuff so that I realized how important yeah. it was to understand the processing of the process of production and also engineering you know yeah did you start kind of apprenticing or working in there all the time or was it mostly just on your own stuff or yeah it was just on my own stuff i didn't i never apprenticed there it was it was a very small little studio it was in a garage you'd like build it out he seemed so much older than me at the time and, and he still is but at the time he was probably in his like late 20s you know mm. um but he seemed so like he was just like you know figured it out yeah but the more i would go and do more demos the more interested i became and the more he realized 
how hungry I was. And so yeah. he knew that I just was wanting to like play. And so he let me do that, you know, and that was really, um, you know, I'll never forget that. And then, and then he started to see yeah. that I wanted to actually like do it better. And we ended up working together. And I actually, the first record that I made that I produced was for, mm-hmm. for my own band. And my second band that I was in, I was signed to Island Records. I was in a band called Kid Symphony. And that was my first production credit, which I had to wow. fight for to get. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fight with uh, the label yeah. that you were signed yeah, to? Yeah. I was like, you know, we're skipping forward a bit here because I had another, I got my first record deal when I was 16. And I was signed mm-hmm. to Polydor Records in the UK and with a band called Cube. And that record was produced by a guy called Clive Martin. And he'd done a bunch of like lo-fi kind of indie 90s stuff oh, back cool. in the day. And so I didn't produce that. But I remember it being very frustrating for me. But I was so young, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So <laughs> Just feeling yeah. like you didn't have uh, as much creative control as you would, would have liked, basically? Well, I think I just, I didn't know how to make an album at all. I had no idea. Mm. I just All I knew was that I had creative energy. And Carl, uh, Carl, sorry, Clive, the producer, he was kind of my next mentor after the guy in the studio. And mm. he really kind of... I remember just driving around with him and we just drive, we we're looking at studios back in the day. We just drive around for like a week looking at studios, residential studios to like go oh, wow. and, to record yeah, in or yeah. we went wow. around all the big studios in England, Rockfield, Manor, Manor, what was the one in Birmingham where Led Zeppelin did Manor Hill, whatever it's called the Manor. That's where uh, like when the levee breaks was done. Rockfield was oh, where sweet. Bohemian Rhapsody was done, you know, sawmills in Cornwall, which was like where like, Supergrass did a lot of their stuff and Radiohead did their first record there. Anyway, you know, so it's like all these cool studios and we had, we were just driving around me and Clive, the producer, just looking for studios and we were listening to music and there was a period of time that he took me under his wing as well and kind of to get me, because I was the main writer as well and, and the singer. And so anyway, I, whatever. I've just had a bunch, I have had some mentors in my time mm-hmm. and he, I remember when I worked with him, I was like, oh, I don't know anything what I'm doing. I have no idea how to do this. Because <laughs> he was like a proper producer. The guy that in yeah. Leeds, he although was a wonderful man. I'm still friends with him today. He he kind of just stayed in that level. You know, mm-hmm. he, he kind of was more comfortable there and like supporting local talent and all that kind of stuff. But he never yeah. kind of went to London and did the thing, which is in, in, yeah, in, in yeah. England, it's like, you know, going to New York or LA. You know, I'm from Leeds in like a northern town in England. So you got to go to London. It used to be that you'd have to go to London eventually. So that first record on Polydor, it was it was produced by him. And, and then so in my next band, which was Kid Symphony, which a few years later, I was like 22 and signed to Ireland. I was like ready to kind of produce, but I still wasn't fully confident enough. So then I brought in the guy that was my first mentor as kind of my partner Oh, cool. So he came, I brought him in and we made that record together. I didn't, but Tom Lord Algae mixed it. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and, you know, I wasn't even attempting to try and mix it. <laughs> and at the time that was just like, you know, the mixer was like everything. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's what, it is funny now, um, you know, having come up in, in the newer age, whenever I, I talk to some of these kind of old school mixing engineers and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of them, actually, that I was close with in my last job, that he's one of uh, Focus Rights brand ambassadors, Dave Hensey. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he'll talk about the 80s or the 90s 
being a mix engineer and driving around in like a, a Lamborghini. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> I'm just like they got paid so, so much you know, money. It was ridiculous. The, yeah, the, it's just wild. The mix would cost as much to do as the record, if not more. Sometimes, if you got like a superstar mixer, wow. I think Tom Lord Algy was getting like twenty grand a song or something like that. Oh my god! You know, it was. In, I mean, the record cost more to mix than it did to make. You know. And we went to South Beach in Miami because oh man, and, and it was just like we just would roll in at like three p.m. every day and be like, "Sounds great, <laughs> see you later." Because we'd been on the, I know, I that was the first record I'd ever produced. I didn't know how to do it in terms yeah. of like time. Was like, oh, this is how this, yeah, like time management was like not my forte at that point. So I just would yeah. work like eighteen hours a day for three months without a day off, you know. And then I'd be like... That had to be... I mean, so at that point you were 16, 17? No, I was a bit older then. I was about 21, 22. 21. Yeah. Even then, I mean, that's still pretty young, you know, and you're suddenly being jet-setted over to another country. Oh, yeah. I mean, that had to be an amazing feeling at that point. I'd already right? had the whole thing, though, with my first band. I mean, Sharon Osborne used to manage my first band when I was, oh my when God. I was like 16. <laughs> I was in LA when I was 16 trying to do a wow. split deal. I remember being over here doing a deal talks with like Maverick, which was Madonna's label at the time. And like, I remember getting like, and then Sharon was managing us and I was hanging out with Ozzy. Ozzy's, this is like pre-Osborns. Wow. And like, I'm 16 going, oh yeah, this is totally normal. <laughs> I had no. Well, yeah, that's, I guess that's my next question. Yeah. Do you, uh, you know, growing up, is your family involved in entertainment or anything? Or is this like, are you the first person in your family to kind of go down this path? No, no. My, so my two brothers were in a band called Space Hog back in the 90s. And they had a pretty big hit with a song in the meantime, which was a pretty big like hit on like rock radio and alternative radio in like 95. Hmm. So that was kind of the catalyst for me to kind of, they were my idols that point you know when i was young sure, you know yeah. and they were doing it this again this is like pre-internet so it's like they all lived in new york so when i was 15 14 15 16 i'm like in england and then we would get a call from them you know every few weeks the callers and be like oh we're doing this we're doing that it, we didn't it was all fantasy because it was out yeah in, in it's america kind of like it's not yeah, you know? you're not there. No. It's kind of like this other yeah. dimension. Kind but of. they're my brothers. So there's a connection of like, oh, well, it's like the family baker. Like you pass it down mm -hmm. through the generations kind of thing. And so I saw them or at least fantasized about what they were doing and knew that they were doing it. Right. And they were having the success. They, yeah. You know, they got signed, made a record and then had a gold album. Right. Straight away. And so it was like, that's how you do it. Right. You just get a record deal and sell 500,000 records. You know, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think that that probably is what gave you, you know, being at that young age, it seems like you probably realized relatively early on that, you know, whenever you're a kid and your parents are like, oh, when you grow up, you can do whatever you want or the sky's the limit. Like, it sounds like you really had kind of a tangible example of that. Like, oh, this is really possible. Like I can, I can make a living doing, making music. Yeah. I mean, my perception of it was that, you know, certainly in England, the, that's not really how they what they say to you they yeah. say the opposite oh they don't they go oh. <laughs> they go don't get too big my... don't get too big for your boots 
you know so you go Eddie Izzard has a joke about this he goes like yeah it's like the British are like this when you're a kid you go dad when I grow up I want to be a spaceman and your dad goes spaceman don't be ridiculous try postman (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like just easy take it easy so so but I was in my own mind I'd already made my mind up so all of this that was going on like even in the going to the studios and all those things, it was all playing into this idea of like, well, I'm going to do that. Right. Like that's my yeah. path now. And I didn't even really think about it. I was just like, I'm doing it. And so basically I yeah. was just like trying to collect data so that I had the tools and the skills to be able to nail it. Right. Cause I had my, yeah, yeah. you know, when you're young, you just, you don't have any experience, but you have like just raw dedication if you if, yeah. if that's where you could ambition yeah. and the yeah. drive yeah i mean not everybody does i mean i was certainly lucky in, in the fact that i was very very clear about what i wanted to do you know what i'm saying so yeah, at a very yeah. young age i left school before i even did i didn't graduate high school wow you know i just bounced you're like why why yeah yeah no i'm no i'm saying that's what you're saying like yeah you're like why i don't need i to. was clear yeah, about I, what i, I wanted know what to do get. you know so yeah look i'm not recommending it i'm just saying <laughs> it certainly kids if you're listening <laughs> it does deliver a whole other bunch of problems later in your life fyi but you know it's it's certainly experience i mean i had a great time yeah it was intense i certainly I, you know look we never i never had the commercial success on the artist side I got all these record deals and I had a lot of like investment in me and, and mm-hmm. my second band, Kid Symphony, that I was telling you about, Tom Lord Algae Mixed, that band was, there was a lot of expectation about it being big. You know, there was a lot of money put into it. We were kind of like, it was when the darkness were kind of breaking. Oh, yeah. And so we were kind of in that realm a little bit with them. We weren't as tongue in cheek. We were more like, I was basically doing it the serious version of the darkness. Because we, I grew up with like Queen, Bowie, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like to me, that was even though it was like big and pompous, it was and like and I wanted to be in the biggest band in the world. It was still serious, and I felt the darkness was like it was too kitschy, it was too like gimmicky. Yeah. You know? I was gonna say I actually I loved a lot of their stuff, yeah. and I I was thinking not too long ago. I've lately I've been listening to um, a lot of like really synth heavy kind of 80s-esque stuff in the 1975 and and stuff like that. And I was thinking like, wow, was the darkness like, maybe they were like a little bit ahead of their time or something because they had that total 80s thing going, right? They did, yeah. But at the time it felt, like you said, it kind of felt gimmicky. It was a pastiche to me. It was like, I Mm. I felt it was like, because I loved all of that music originally. Like I was big Mm. into like glam metal and like I was into all of that stuff like, warrant and yeah. you know jovi and uh and all those aerosmith and all those bands and so they came along and i was like you're doing it like that everybody's like jumping on board because it's funny and it's fun and they were they mm-hmm. were good don't get me wrong but it was like i don't know to me i think that's why it was successful ultimately because it was easy to see what they were doing and to jump on and they were good right whereas right. we were do- i was trying to be subtle with something that was not subtle <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know so anyway yeah. whatever the point is so what work. was the uh that actually leads to uh another one of the things i wanted to ask you about and you alluded to this a little bit earlier yeah i i kind of think that there's a point in every person's life especially when it comes to art where you feel like you've found kind of like your thing you know what makes your stuff yours when did you kind of finally feel like you had you know, a lot of us were probably always trying to achieve that and don't ever feel like we've quite attained it. But when did you feel like you had 
enough to the point that you were like, I could mix this. Like, I don't, I don't need a, a Tom Lord algae or whatever. I could mix this. I could produce this. Like, did you have that moment? And when was it? Yeah. So the production was, you know, that second band I was in, you know, I, I felt yeah. I could do it cause I was, I was writing everything. I wrote all the lyrics, melody and songs. I was very like militant. I was, you know, a pain in the ass to be in a band with quite frankly, cause <laughs> well, I'm not, cause I'm very like, I am the leader. You're either in the band or not, but I'm going to be the leader yeah. and I'm, we're doing it my way. That was how I was when I was younger. I was very clear about that and that worked. And then I knew that I could put it together. The reason how I got the job for the producer was because they put me in with all these different producers, all the new names of the time. And, mm-hmm. and we did demos with these different producers. And, but the, we got signed off the back of a demo that I'd done. And mm. we didn't, I was like, we're not doing any gigs. We're not doing any, any shows. We're going to just get this record deal off the back of this demo because yeah. it was that good. And we did, we got signed. I'd never even had a band. Amazing. I had to put a band together so that Island Records could come and watch us rehearse. <laughs> and we'd been together like five days. We got I just put a bunch wow. of musicians together. They on the Monday they came and saw us on the Friday. We had a deal on the table on the Monday. You know, wow. And and, and that's insane. Yeah, that was just the way it was back then. And it was like for a bunch of money, and it was all great, right? And so I knew that the power of the songs that I'd done and the demos were already mm-hmm. what they they signed that. But then yeah, because they're labels, right. they go, oh, now we've got to find the producer. And because we were still young, I'd never done anything. And so they were trying to like, well, just work with somebody. And I'd already done that. So anyway, what happened was I did it all. I played the game. I did all the demos with all these different producers. And they were all just rubbish because they, weren't, they were like their vision. And it wasn't yeah. me anymore. And I just played yeah. it out. And then basically I just went into the studio in Leeds with my guy without telling anybody. And I just did one song. Right, I cut mm-hmm. the song. I did it the way we did it, how I've envisioned it, and then I was like, "Oh, we've got another song here that we did. Just did a new song. Sent it to the label. Didn't tell them that I did it. Yeah, and they were like, "This is great. What's this?" And I was like, "Aha!" <laughs> I was like, "Tricked you." <laughs> you know, yeah. you gotta have some. Intuitive- I absolutely love yeah. that. So they were like, "Oh, you did it," and I was like, "Yeah, I did it with my my guy Carl." And they were like, "Okay, cool. All right." Go and do three songs. We'll give you a budget for three songs. They wouldn't wow. give me the album, right? They were like, go yeah. and do three songs, prove yourself. So we basically got a budget yeah. for three songs. We went down to Rockfield in Wales and we did three songs. Did it. It was great. And they gave me the rest of the album. And that was that was how I got that production. I really love yeah. that. That has like the entrepreneurial type of spirit that I think is one of the consistent things that you see in successful producers, especially ones who are more of like a freelance and not, you know, just a producer at a label who's just being handed work. Like that hustle and that creativeness. Also that, have you heard of uh, the very first Boston album, how that was created with Tom Schultz? No. It's literally almost exactly what you did was how that first, he like recorded that his whole band had basically quit. They all decided they weren't going to make it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he was like a corporate exec at Kodak camera and he, he quit. He spent his life savings on a tape machine Mm -hmm. and recorded that entire album basically in his basement playing all the instruments except for the drums. He had somebody come in and play drums, Mm -hmm. but he sent it off to a label 
they're, you know, this is great. They, they signed him, but they did the same thing. Like, oh, we're going to bring in this producer and he's going to re-record it all in a real studio. Right. And fortunately for them, that producer realized like that the magic was, you know, Tom Schultz. And basically they lied to the label and the producer was <laughs> booking all this time at a studio right. with the band. Uh, meanwhile, Tom Schultz was back in his basement in Boston re-recording the entire album they pulled this truck up to the outside, ran a snake out the basement window yeah. to master it all, and they recorded all the, they co- recorded all the vocals um, in a real studio. But yeah, that first Boston album was all recorded in his basement, and I don't even I don't know when they told the label or when the label found out. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny when you're explaining that. I'm like, yeah, you Tom Schultz them, yeah, amazing. That's how we did it. That's how you do it, man. I mean, you know, I love that. I love that stuff, man. It's so cool. If you are confident, you know that you can do it. Just do it, and then. You yeah. know, it, you, th- this is music. You can't really speak of it. We can try, and the industry certainly tries to speak of music, you know, to describe things or to say, oh, this is this mm-hmm. thing, and it sounds like this and this and this, and hey, what do you sound like? And all those things. But ultimately, all that matters is what's coming out of speakers. So yeah. nobody cares. The art speaks for itself. Nobody cares about what microphone you used on the snare drum, any of that. Ultimately, I mean, we do because we love it, right? We love the process, but we don't. The listener doesn't care is what it is. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that actually is a perfect segue into something that I wanted to talk to you okay. or to ask you about. All right. As I mentioned, when we were, were talking a while back, I'm a big fan of Joseph. I, I really love their, their Tiny Desk concert and I've listened to um, a lot of their stuff. Mm-hmm. That album that you did with them, yeah. Good Luck Kid, yep. it looks like you, you did a ton on that album. I did, yeah. And what I really love about it is you can hear you in it, Mm -hmm. but it's still them. And those are kind of my favorite collaborative efforts when I hear it is like, you can hear a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. How does something like that come about? Like that, that album, do do they come to you and they say, Hey, we've got this list of songs and we really like, you know, this sound that you have. Can you see what you can do? Or is it more like, let's come in and let's do an album together and write together and, and collaborate. So with that one, basically, I was up for the job through a manager friend of mine who I'd done other a couple of other records with already. Mm-hmm. And he also managed Joseph. And they were looking for a producer for the second record. And they they basically chosen someone. And it, it, these days you kind of, especially where, how, where I'm at, level that mm-hmm. I'm at, which is kind of in the like, you know, I'm not like at the top of the pile. But I'm like working and I and I'm, you know, I'm in this kind of mid zone, you know, which is a pretty wide yeah. spectrum. And so you're basically you're getting judged on your merit, essentially, which you always are. But if you don't have as big a name, you have to kind of do these spec jobs, basically, which yeah. is you do a song to test. It's a bit like dating, you know, essentially. Mm. And the artist is looking for producers, so they'll be testing a few producers. And I guess they were basically going to move forward with this other producer. And then they came back to LA to do another test with another producer. And in that trip, my manager friend had asked them, you should try something with Leggy. Because I'd just come off the back of the Meg Myers record, uh, the album. And I think it was just like, come and hang out for a day and see what happens. So they just came over to the studio and... And we did a song. We did uh, the song Fighter. And that was um, a song that was written by a friend of mine, co-written 
uh, Jen De Silvio. She wrote the song with the girls on a different session. And so I was just kind of asked to do a song and do it, you know, do my thing with it and met with them. They came and we just did it over, it was a couple of days actually, I think. So we did that one song and then, you know, I did my thing, kind of sent a rough off and they ended up basically pulling out of the other choice. And in a weird, it's, it was a similar story in a weird way. They just kind of came and we did three, then they were like, okay, let's do three songs. So then we did three songs. It's always the way you kind of, they dip your toe in a little bit. And, you know, cause the first song I just did with just me, it was all me in the studio, you know, I mean, you know, with the girls obviously singing on it and stuff and, and what have you, but I didn't have anybody, I didn't really have budget to bring anyone else in or anything like that for that first song. And so then I got, they were like, okay, let's do a, like a three song thing and put a budget together. And, and I got my my good friend Aaron Sterling to play drums on it. And my friend Joel Shearer did some guitars, you know, just brought some extra musicians in and did the three songs. And that was like, then, okay, now we're doing the rest of the record. So uh, that's kind of how it happened. Yeah, I was going to ask that because I, I can, you know, there's some stuff that uh, I could tell is live drums. And then it seems like you've done some stuff in the box. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty sampling and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's kind of how I do it. I've, I, I kind of make records in a pretty back to front way, which is I cut all the live drums at the end because I do a lot of programming and I'm very particular about drums. So I, I'll program all of the the live drums as well that I want to be replaced. Oh wow! And then you have a, a drummer come in, yeah, and, and basically a session drummer come in, and yeah. Yeah. So uh, Aaron is like, he's one of the best drummers in LA. He plays with like John Mayer and everybody. He's doing, he just does everybody. And he's just so good. It's insane. And so he just will come in and he'll just make it better from what, but but he's just doing, he's very, I don't like a lot of overly complicated stuff, especially in the drum, the live drum track. Because my drum track will be live drums, programming, live percussion. So it's like a four element thing that makes up the the drums so to speak you know and it's especially on a record like that because they they wanted to go a bit more modern from their first record which was you know a bit more folky they did it with the dude that i've forgotten his name now but he did um what's that swedish band the folk band two sisters uh first aid kit yes yeah first aid kit the guy that did first aid i've forgotten his name oh cool Uh, but anyway i like them yeah they're cool and he's great and he did a great job with them on that first record and they wanted to just be a bit do a bit more modern i guess and a bit more a bit heavier in places so yeah and a bit more epic i was calling it whole foods which is like (laughs) we need to be more whole foods (laughs) yeah meaning you know you want your you want to hear your song getting played in whole foods as long as you've got like one Whole Foods song on your record, then you can kind of yeah. go a bit wild on other in other areas. Yeah. But look, it was an amazing experience. We had a great time. They were, you have to earn the trust with an artist, right? So they're coming in and, you know, they're doing what I did when I was a kid, which is handing over the controls to someone to, yeah. to kind of. I think that's the thing I was most curious about. Yeah. Is, is it, cause it does, it seems like it is a lot of trust if you haven't worked with somebody to come in and say like, here you go. Like, here's these songs we created. So I, yeah, that's what I was curious about. Is it, is it like that? Or it sounds like it's a bit more collaborative and more like uh, a little bit at a time and varying degrees of. Yeah. I mean, look, there's all different ways of producing and there's all different kind of 
producers and do it, they do it all differently. And art, there's all different kinds of artists, right? And so there's so many different ways of making a record. For me, the, the way I enjoy it the most is if I'm working with artists that need me kind of thing. You know what I'm saying by that? And what I mean is artists that they have a vision in their own hearts of what they want, but they need someone to create the world for them. They don't necessarily play instruments or or they just a little bit of guitar or what have you. But that's where I get to really kind of flex my creative muscles. And I enjoy that. Look, not all artists like that. It's too much for them. You know, that can be, it's like, well, why are you doing everything kind of thing? You know? And then some artists love it because it's like, what I'll do is I'll just be like, okay, what's the song? And then, okay, here's the song. I'll have like a a scrap, a demo of it. And then I will like make a new, a rough kind of broad strokes kind of idea that I'll then play to the artist in the morning. And then they'll either like, they'll come in and they'll be like, we love it. Or they'll be like, we hate it. (laughs) But generally, if I've already gotten to this place and I'm synced up with them, like that, that sinking period, like in the uh, the first song we did, like everybody's here and we're all doing it together, right? And you're kind of, yeah. I'll start with a very small seed of an idea because otherwise you've got nothing. And so if you, you've got an artist sitting in the room with you and you've got nothing, right? As soon as you do something, they're going like, <gasps> what's that? You know, you, <laughs> yeah. you can't. How am I supposed to, yeah. how should I feel about yeah, that? Yeah, like they're immediately judging it. Before, and it's like, I yeah. need a lot of bandwidth to basically make a lot of mistakes, right? Right. To choose some crazy sound that is never going to be used and yeah. to do it and to play a million different guitar ideas. I have to have that space. So what I like to do is do that. I do that before they're in the room. And so that when they're in the room, I've basically landed on something that's like working. And so I'll call them and say, guys, come, come over and check this out. I've got a little thing. Right. And then they listen to it and it's like a, you know, it'll be like a drum of some sort of drum. If it's like needing that, it'll be like a, a, just a basic track happening. But I, I learned how to be really quick in this from the writing days of the writing sessions that I did earlier in my production career, which was like writing every day as the producer on those sessions, you've basically got to get something going within like 15 minutes. It has to feel amazing in 15 minutes so that they can write to it, you know? So this is now definitely adding context to the thing I brought up at the, at the very beginning of our chat here about you being able to just rattle off song ideas on the fly. Uh, So yes, that's very much a result of having practiced it and done it for probably Hundreds and hundreds of hours. <laughs> well, that's why I'm. What I'm saying, yeah, it's like you learn the skills over time, so that when it's the game day, you're kind of on autopilot. You know, you're just you're, you're not. It's like if you learn the piano, right? You're not thinking about the keys when you play it. You're just playing. You're playing it. But in order to get to that space, you have to put all these hours in behind the scenes or through experience. You know, and I've been across the spectrum in all different roles from being the lead singer to, you know, the musical director of a live shows to being the engineer for Rick Rubin to being the main producer of a, somebody else's record and a, or a mixer. So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've, been, I've done pretty much every role you can do ultimately because what I love the most is if I'm making an album with an artist and I'm writing, co-writing it, producing and mixing it like the whole thing. And like, yeah, I love that. I get to, you know, I did that with Meg Myers. I did it with Joseph. I did it with Caitlin Smith. You know, those those records were all pretty much, you know, 
done here internally. I just put extra musicians on at the end to give it a bit of flavor. But if you look in the credits of those records, it's all me. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I noticed that, yeah. <laughs> just to be clear, what I'm saying with that is that the artists driving the ship ultimately, right? So like there mm-hmm. is their filter. So my job is to get it right, right? So if I'm I'm doing all this stuff, right? I'm playing all the instruments and producing and putting it all together. But if I'm not nailing it, the artist just going to say, I don't like it. And it doesn't matter why. They just don't. My job is to figure out and use my skill set and my creative juices to mm-hmm. to discover what is right for them rather than it be telling them why they're wrong and I'm right. That's not why yeah. I, I never do that because, you know, it's like you can't just tell someone why they don't like something. And sometimes it's as simple as like the tambourine was too loud or the tambourine mm-hmm. was annoying and you turn the tambourine off and all of a sudden, what did you do? It's amazing now. I'm like, uh, I just muted the tambourine. <laughs> That's so true though, Yeah. And that was the thing that I that I really liked about that that Joseph album that you did. Um, like I said, you can hear you on there, but it still feels very much like a Joseph album. Oh, yeah. And I, I really love the way that the guitars and the pianos, like the timbre of both of those instruments, are kind of like playing off of each other in a lot of the songs yeah. in a modern, but yet still yeah. like that folky. And, and also it was like, I was very conscious of it being, it's the girls, right? That Joseph is these three sisters that are, you know, spiritually connected in the way that they sing is incredible. You know, it's like insane. When you put them in a room together, the three of them, it's just like nuts. You know, you just have to get out of the way. You just capture them. Yeah. So with the production, it was like you're kind of adding this world to them. And so, you know, and they, they have such strong identities within the three of them that it could afford to be kind of bigger in the in the landscape behind them. I was very conscious around in the sound mm-hmm. scape, you know, the, of the stereo field that we weren't going to like over stack things and all this kind of stuff you know i wanted that bit to feel more natural so if you listen to the record whoever's singing leads in the middle and then one of the girls is on the left and one of the girls is on the right and i did that consistently throughout the whole record and like i I wanted to do that so that because it's harmonies and it's the three of them because i've done that even though some of the productions are pretty grandiose and big and and vibey and ambient and all these things going on crazy stuff going on they're still, you kind of always know where they're going to be with the three of them vocally. And so it does feel like it's very stacked and all these things, but it's actually just, if I'm doubling up, I'm putting like Nat on the right and uh, Megan in the left and, and, and so on. You know what I'm saying? So there was a consciousness around where we positioned the girls rather than it just be a wall of vocals, right? Right. So that was something that was yeah. important to me. That was kind of the only concept that I stuck to. I really like what you did with the, um, which actually, I don't know, this is another question, I guess, and uh, not to spend too much time on this one thing, but um, I think my favorite track on that album is uh, NYE, New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. and yeah. the the vocal arrangement in that, I really like the uh, the call and response parts and, and things like that, mm-hmm. feels like a little bit different, and I'm wondering if you, did you help arrange that vocals, or the vocals for that, or was that all of them? Or? Uh, the vocals, so that was their they were really clear on that. And so I didn't really like kind of push too much on the arrangements. I was more the, uh, just, you know, I'm great with vocal production, but in terms of my thing with that is to get out of the way again. Cause when you, when yeah. you've got an artist who's that are great, my thing is just, I'm making sure that I know that we have it 
right? And I'm just doing that in my mind. I'm collecting it, but I like to make vocal tracking very easy. I do it in a very specific way that's almost like, oh, did we do it? Yeah, we were, you already got it. Well done. With, I love that. It's, like, it's not like pressure's off. It's just all creativity. We're doing the vocals. Everybody, <laughs> Everybody just, be quiet. Shh, this is it, guys. <laughs> you know, it was very, like, the whole record was cut in my other room. Just, I have a, like, the little corner of the studio where they just go and stand next to the back. We did the whole record on an SM7, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, like, it was, uh, you know, I don't have a booth. I don't like that because there's no, the communication's mm-hmm. terrible. They're all, like, boxed in. So it's, it's yeah. and I don't like to be like, right, we're doing all the vocals at the end either. Like, we're doing vocals at super random times. You can just cut a vocal whenever you want, you know? Yeah. But yeah, with the vocals, they were very, they were locked in. They were, they were so good. It was like, they'd already like rehearsed it them vocally. So it was cool. Cause it was like, I was bringing the world and that they were then either approving or wanting to tweet, you know, and they, and they would go mm-hmm. like, it's not quite right. I don't like the drums. And okay, what about this? And so they would just tell me I'm not, that's not working. And my job was to interpret what, they wanted <laughs> you know yeah, which yeah was you know for the most part all the way through the record i feel like i nailed it there was one song that was that was a bit trickier because they in their mind they had a different they had a vision that i was kind of not perceiving so that's always mm-hmm. tricky because you're kind of you're going like you're really trying to see or hear what they what they want and that yet if my idea for it is so different or i don't hear it you got to push through it, you know, and go beyond yeah. what I think because it's ultimately their record, right? So right. anyway, that's uh, that's that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your space over there. I have yet to to visit. I'm looking forward to visiting, but it looks like a really unique space. It seems like you've put in quite a bit of effort into really curating everything that goes in there. And just the overall aesthetics of it, the tapestries in the background and everything. And of course, we're going to get to the focus right stuff at some point. Mm-hmm. But first, I was just curious because everything looks so kind of like curated and unique. Yeah. If there's been any kind of like oddball or unexpected pieces of gear or instruments that you've stumbled across, you know, throughout your life that have ended up being something that you turn to a lot in your songs and, and production workflow. I mean... This isn't very oddball, but I mean, I the Juno 106 is something that is like such a workhorse synth for me and for yeah. a lot of people. You know, it's not really like weird or anything. It's that I use, it covers so much ground that, so I, I use that a lot. I'm not like a big, like I've got all these weird things kind of producer. Yeah, I depend heavily on my template. My template has mm. been, you know, 10 years in the making it just keeps getting updated so when you say your template you mean like a pro tools mixing template that you start with mm, or, uh, have, tracking template no, i have a I have, well i work in cubase and pro tools oh, so cool. which is we'll come to that when we talk about the focus right stuff which is why i'm on in focus right world oh. uh, with the rednet stuff at least so my mm-hmm. production happens in cubase and that is like a huge like thousand track template Wow. Yeah. So it's why I can work so fast. It's basically the whole palette is everything, all my, and like weird sounds and samples and stuff I've got over the year is in there, you know, contact instruments, things like that. My main weapon is the machine. I use it. Like Mm -hmm. that's how I kind of get everything going. I just became a bit of a master at machine. Like, you know, back in 2013, I got it. And I was always trying to find 
like a way to get drums happening. I'm really like, I've said this before, but drums are so important for me. And so I just was like, right, I'm going to really nail machine. And it's really just a place to collect things very quickly in terms of sounds, drum sounds and what have you and Mm -hmm. noises. But yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I mean, I could, but I use that on every starting of every song because it's quick to get things going and to get ideas and to start set a vibe very quickly. So this this template that you're using is pretty much tracks that you already have, whatever virtual instruments that you kind of turn to a lot. You've got tracks with already routed to any outboard yeah. instruments or gear that you're using. And you basically like, you don't have to spend any time diving through menus. You can just go to the track, record arm it and go. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. It's everything nice. in the studio is connected and wired. Everything comes at the same place. Like the microphones are got ready to go. There's two amps in the amp room. You know, it's just, I put something in input I'm plugging in and then I'm, I'm directly talking to the amp, you know, and then there's, you know, all I have everything that I have in the, in the template already. So wow. any instrument is there, any synth is there in under categories as well. So like if I'm looking for a pad, I just have like, you know, 20 different pad options mm-hmm. <laughs> ready to go. They're all deactivated. And so yeah. if I want something, I just, I have a quick command on the keyboard and I just boom, put it on, get something going, you know. Yeah. A lot of the time I'm not using a lot of the stuff. It's not like, you know, and then I'll, I have another a, a whole orchestral section at the bottom as well so i've like full orchestra and everything uh, you mm-hmm. know that would be and it's basically a composer setup essentially i kind of nicked mm-hmm. it off the kind of hans zimmer world um because <laughs> i thought oh this is a cool way it's basically like having all of your instruments set up around you like right. physically as if you had like every instrument under the sun just set up i mean to yeah. me that's like fun then because then i can just be like jump on something, try it. Is it cool? Yeah, no, you know, and I can have something happening within no time. And it feels... Yeah, it's just giant musical playground. Yeah. You know, that's why, because everything runs from Cubase live into Pro Tools through mm-hmm. RedNet. So I can just stream, I'm streaming it live and then I can just, I have like a mix bus happening in Pro Tools. So mm-hmm. I can switch over from my Cubase monitoring into Pro Tools, and then I've got like my mix bus from my mix template, or oh wow, or, so already on the demo. So I'm like immediately, it's just like makes me feel like I'm way better than I am, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so instead of like producing, arranging everything in Cubase and then bouncing out the stems, you're actually like streaming it over with Dante, yes. basically to yeah. to your Pro I have Tools 128 session. channels. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. So it's two HDX cards going over mm-hmm. the RedNet world into Pro Tools, and it's basically 64 stems. And they're all categorized. All my machine pads are discrete. And then there's like, it's basically everything's routed already in Cubase to go to these mm-hmm. pre-routed stems in Pro Tools. And so, and I just have like, you know, seven or six or eight guitar stems, you know, just guitar one through eight. You know, mm-hmm. and like four keys, four synths, Atmos. Oh, just like, you know, all the vocals I do in Pro Tools. It's just for the track. Gotcha. Yeah. Producing in Cubase and vocal tracking, mixing in Pro any Tools. Other, any other instruments that are going live will go into Pro Tools. So I'll get oh, the okay. track happening in Cubase. And then like, if it feels everything's good, you know, I just did um, Amos Lee's new album. 
I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah so we, we did it everything. I did everything in Cubase for that one because I, oh, wow. he's so fast that I couldn't, you know, I have to be like, okay, let me just print and I'll do a pass into Pro Tools and then I'm in Pro Tools and I can start cutting vocals, right? That's how I would do it. That's how I did Joseph and that's how I did like Meg Myers and all that stuff. But um, with Amos, he's like writing the song in real time or he'll just want to jump on the mic. And so yeah. I, it didn't work. I couldn't do it that way. So I had to yeah. I had to cut the vocals in Cubase, which was a bit of a nightmare, quite honestly, but because <laughs> I have such a like way of doing it in Pro Tools. Yeah. But with him, he's so good. He won't give me more than like two takes anyway. So it wasn't like I was a, it wasn't a mountain of comping because it was just like, oh, that's it. I wouldn't even, that's the thing. It's like, I do a lot, but then when it comes to the vocals, if you're working with an artist like Amos or even Joseph, they, they just, they know what they're doing. So I'm yeah. not going to be like, hey, do you mind going, hey, you know, it's just like, <laughs> you know, like the, I just take what I'm given and then I'll, because I can get so much out of the comp. I don't have yeah. to argue with an artist because I just go like, oh, it's amazing. Can I get one more? I don't say, can you try it? You know, unless it's like, you're, you know, something obvious or try this. Yeah. Anyway. I love that. I, I feel like that probably obviously contributes to why, you know, these albums that you're doing still, you know, retains the thing that makes them them. Cause that's, yeah. you know, arguably, of course it's subjective, but it's arguably the most important part of a song and what makes it, you know, you recognize immediately like, Oh, that's that person. Yeah. So man, you, nobody through. knows, like I'm the only person that has everything goes through me. Right. So I know that there's like a didgeridoo going on in the background going, <laughs> it's like really low and loads of reverb. Yeah. Right? Nobody, I know that like I did that at some point and it was fun to do and it sounds cool in the combination, but the vocals are the most important thing. And so if the artist is clear on who they are and they're great as a listener, you're, if you're just a regular music lover, that's your focus. So you, yeah. the world around it is not necessarily about the individual elements of the track. It's about the whole track as a whole will give an emotion, right? But it's not, they yeah. don't care what's in it, you know, or not in it. It's just... Just how it makes them exactly, feel. Exactly, yeah. And then they listen to the lyrics and vocals and attaching to the artist, you know. They don't care what I'm doing. That's why I'm like, that's why I'm overcompensating for the lack of no one looking at me by just doing as much <laughs> as possible. <laughs> hey, what about if I do 15 layers of guitars? Yeah, come on. Look at me. And everyone's like, who's that guy? Shut up. I want to listen to Amos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he'll be out in a minute. He's still wrestling with Cubase. Yeah. Give him just a moment. <laughs> exactly. What's Cubase? Nobody Yeah, exactly. Nobody that, that's the that's the that's the actual Shut up, response. nerd. What is Cubase? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's great. So you're um, you know, talking to my my cohort Dave, it sounds like you're doing kind of an an overhaul of your RedNet system there. Yeah. I think we're we're setting That's it. We're helping you kind of integrate a bunch of new gear yes. and stuff. Yes. Is there a comprehensive uh, plan that you're going for there? Are you like adding in just more capabilities to be able to patch in different rooms or more about just upgrading to kind of the newest components of the stuff you're mostly already using? Yeah. So it's a little bit of both, I would say. There's some upgrades to, because I have all like the first gen um, mm -hmm. interfaces and, and all that. So we're upgrading the RedNet two and the rednet fives and stuff like yeah. that a few of those are getting upgraded i'm going to the one new the new ones yep. are one new i think you said it's getting you the a16r yeah mark a16r II. mark two which is taking over like 
one of the rednet 5's duties and then all of my a to d on the rednet 2 um yeah. getting the new remote as well which is going to replace the r1 yeah. Yeah, so yeah. he's talked to me about that. So I'm going to get that and that's going to replace, I have the dangerous thing right now. So oh, yeah, nice. I'm getting that. And then there's another, the, what's that new like mini interface that you guys have? Oh, the, uh, the X2P, yeah. the desktop interface. So where I'm sitting right now is my assistant's station. Who's mm. you know obviously not being here all year? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a little quiet over here. But um, yeah, you know, in preparation for uh, you know whenever things change again, we're getting that in here. Oh, that'll be perfect. Yeah, and yeah. also I can actually then patch into it because we track a lot in this room. I mean, not that you're going to see it, but this is where we cut a lot of like some of the like live vocals with Joseph, for example. If I'm going to cut mm-hmm. people together, it's in my back room which I'll like do live stuff with. And so before we were just running cables back to the patch bay kind of thing. But yeah. now I'm going to be able to run two microphones off of that and then through to the, to the control room. So that's cool to have. Yeah. And you can even, um, I've, I've got here, I've got the X2P set up and I'm using it. I have on one side of my room is where my, my rack mount, stuff is most of my io and then i have that x2p is kind of on the other side of the room and i've actually taken that that has two ethernet ports in it so i have the one dante coming from you know the rack mount stuff that's connecting it to the dante network but then you can bridge stuff off of that so i have an mp8r you know the eight channel mic pre oh, yeah, yeah. coming off of that on a rolling rack so then if you you know mm. you need to wheel it whatever you can kind of just cool. connect with ethernet if you need even more from that the x2p that's in there yeah i have one of those as well those eight p's yeah kind of on the side rack in my room yeah so all my synths are going into that oh nice but i'm replacing that with the new one as well oh cool so whatever the new version of that yeah, is. yeah i think the new one would be the mp8r yeah exactly so we're, we're switching that out and which I'll be interested to hear what you think of that. They're they're a little bit different. It's not the red evolution preamps that are in the the X2P and the 16 line and all that. And it's not the ISA preamps either. They're they're a different kind of pre's, but a lot of people really really like them. Mm-hmm. One of our our main sales slash product guys here, that's like his favorite pre's ever. It's like his go-to. So I'll be interested to hear what you, what you think of those. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to checking that out for sure. It's, uh, I, I like the clean, you know, they're just like, that's what I really want for the synths, to be honest, because they're all like analog yeah. synths. So it's just like, you know, I can always do so much to things on the once they're in, in that world, you know, and so yeah. that's just a great way of getting another eight inputs into the system. So I actually have 24 analog inputs into my studio from the red, yeah. red two and the, and the eight pre, whatever this, whatever they call it. So yeah, uh, that's the, th- and that's the thing about the, the red net stuff, you know, whenever you get something like the X2P or whatever you get, that's Dante. It's like just more IO for free, basically. Yeah. Like you're not, you know, it's so, more it's so interesting. Cause I've had it now, this system for since about, 2016 i started to get into rednet and again Mm -hmm. it was this kind of idea was basically i'm trying to bridge two doors together that was my reason for doing it it's like why don't doors talk to each other you know why can't we do this but you know we don't do it so i'm trying to get audio from one place to another 
And, um, you know, I was looking at Maddie, I was looking at all these different, like even like the ADAP from the 16 channels at one point mm-hmm. or at the beginning. And then I was like, and then I heard about the RedNet stuff and it was like, well, this seems like the way to do it. Cause it's just like super easy, no latency, all that kind of stuff. It's just yep. really fast and just simple. The crazy thing with it is, is once you start getting into like a lot of numbers of like channel count and stuff, and then where you can put things anywhere from anywhere. And I also yeah. have a patch bay. So it's like nothing is anything. Everything is, there's no, you know what I'm saying? Like channel <laughs> yeah, exactly. input one, forget it. It's like, is it? Yeah. Because it could be, it could be anywhere. You can put it anywhere, yeah, into anywhere. <laughs> and then you're on the patch bay, you patch off that. So it's just like, there's so many le- tiers of like, so at the end of the day, I still have a piece of paper for my session that's like got my inputs <laughs> written on it. Yeah. You know? So it's like. I'm, yeah, yeah. on that note, I, I am like, in disbelief that nobody has made a Dante patch bay yet, you know, that just there isn't... is, there is a, there is a digital patch bay. There is, but, um, but it's, oh, it's not Dante. Flock audio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That thing looks yeah. kind of cool, but like, on, honestly, it's like, I just, I kind of like, you know, if you've got a patch bay, you have a pa- it's part of the fun, right? Otherwise it's just another, stuff in. yeah, it's just another version of Dante <laughs> controller that you've got to mess with. And so it's just like, that's already like the Dante control is cool because you can make presets. So it's just like I have three, yeah. three presets. I have my tw- 128 channel, and I I basically like late and renamed everything so that I know what's going on. So I call my I have because I have the Focusrite PCIe card. Mm-hmm. So that's 128 channels right there. But I call that the DAW card, right? D- yeah. DAW PCIe. So I know because that's basically anything other than Pro Tools, and then I've got mm. four. Rednet fives, so yeah. and that's my 128 channels into HDX basically, and so when I've got my preset for like my production, which is running 128 channels into HDX from the PCIe card, that's yeah. one preset. Then I've got my mix preset, which I run native. I run Pro Tools native then on the Focusrite card mm. because HDX for mixing sucks. Basically, really for me, it does because <laughs> it's run. It doesn't have enough sample delay. It doesn't have as much oh. as the native system, and my my template's got so much routing in it that it it's just crashing. It doesn't. It's not crashing. It just it doesn't compensate enough. Like oh. My mic, like it'll be out of. It's like the last two buses are out of out of sync. Whatever it is anyway. Gotcha. And then I have like a track, an HDX tracking preset as well. So and again, once they're made, they just boom. You just call them up, you know, and then yeah. it does it for you. So. Man, you're really going to like that R1. It's completely customizable, so you can set... It's mainly designed for for monitor routing, but you can also create presets because you can control your mic pre's and everything with it too. Oh, really? And so you can kind of create like IO presets mm-hmm. if you have certain routings. Like if you if you are recording vocals, for example, in the room you're in now and you want to easily like route your like cue mixes out to them and mm-hmm. the pre's however you want, you can pretty much set that up so it's like a button click away on that R1 and it's basically just a remote controller for the for any red gear that you have so it's yeah. actually controlling the interface wow that's cool yeah i just yeah, it's pretty neat. i was looking at it and i was like where's the so how do i do you know like what it's it's a remote control so where does the cuz right now currently my inputs to my dangerous remote, right? They're coming mm-hmm. off of the first four outputs of my Red 2, right? Red Net 2. So my analog outputs yeah. are, are patched. So this actually, 
that's the thing. Yeah, it's no audio. Flows I wouldn't it. say no audio passes through it. The only audio that would pass through it physically would be the headphone output, right? Which is the same headphone amp as the AM2, the X2P, yeah, and the talkback. But that's it. So all it's doing is controlling the interface. So you're but how do I outputs so, to your monitors yeah. are going to be coming out of the? Oh, amp. okay. So I'd have to, and like, it's just and it's just controlling, you know, volume, mute, dim, right, and you know, if you had a surround or an Atmos system, you can do fold downs, you can mono, you. you can actually even connect it to, uh, for, for mixing, you can connect it to VCAs or groups and Pro Tools. So if you have a template, for example, set up where all of your vocals are in one group or all of your lead vocals go to one group, mm-hmm. you could create a, a mixing preset to solo those groups or VCAs or tracks oh, with uh, the... the physical buttons on the R1. So it's not actually soloing it in Pro Tools. It's just soloing it in the monitors for you to listen it's to. It's got the AFL output or whatever it is. From Pro Tools? I don't know the technical term. And in fact, every time I say that, the product guys are like, you can't say that it solos tracks and, and Pro Tools because that's not technically c- correct. And I'm like, I know it's not actually like, you know, in Pro Tools, it's not going to say it's soloed, but it's soloing that to the monitors. Like you can you. actually set it up to break down whatever you want, really, from okay. what's coming out of, of Pro Tools. So the actual physical outputs are coming from the, the Red 2 or whatever it's called. To so the speakers, you could, to the speakers, I mean. Yes, correct. Right, yeah, right, from okay. that to the, the speakers. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I got you. And it's just telling it what to do with it. Yeah, sweet. So it's it's pretty much two things. It's telling it what to do with the monitors on the right side, that's your output controls. Mm-hmm. And then on the left side of it, that panel is source controls. So that's where you can select what you want to send to the monitors, whether that's, um, like I said, individual tracks, if you want to set it up that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, I have one set up with um, three different sources. My first one is just strictly playback on my computer, so none of my pre's or anything. You know, I don't have like a mic or anything that's just sending signal through, being annoying if a fan is on or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then source two is the virtual Dante card for my work computer for playback. Right. And then source three is actually my I/O if I want to monitor whatever I'm recording directly through that instead of through Pro Tools. Right, okay. And how many sources can you have? Up to eight. Inputs. Source groups. So you actually, like, whenever you're in Rednet Control, yeah, you set up source groups in there and you can define whatever you want to put in it. So, like, for example, that source three that's on mine, that's all of my I.O. If I pull up Rednet Control, mm-hmm. I have my first two I've set to be playback one and two. Mm-hmm. And then three and four are just one and two analog inputs from the 16 line. And then I have, I think, five and six are Dante from that X2P, the two channels on that. Mm-hmm. And then I have actually ADAT from an Apollo rack mount mm-hmm. and the MP8R. And so you can set it up however you want and and kind of the same a similar way to how you know how you can set up in rednet control your how you want your inputs to appear in your daw in the input yes. routing yeah it's kind of similar to that like you can tell it like any channel you want whether it's analog dante adat whatever i want it to be in this source group show up here um so when i click this button i'll be monitoring anything that's coming through one of those sources oh cool Okay, so it's pretty um, customizable then. 
It's extremely customizable. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's my favorite thing about it. It's kind of like a little Pandora's box. Like, mm-hmm. I think the stuff that I was talking about with like setting up uh, mixing workflows and things like that, assigning mm-hmm. groups and VCAs, um, it could be really interesting to see some of the propeller heads kind of take that and, and see what they start using it for. Propeller heads? Oh, is that an American thing? It means like the nerds, the gearheads. Oh, got you. Okay. okay. I thought you meant <laughs> propeller heads, the company. Oh, I, I wonder if that's where that comes from. Like, you're talking about that's re- why they call themselves that. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it was called. No. Um, well, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to you getting your hands on that and see, see what you think of it. Yeah. And man. who knows? I think for some people, it's literally just going to be, you know, a monitor controller. You know, pretty straightforward. They switch between couple sources and yeah that's cool because i didn't know how it was done so you know i was a bit like oh where's the audio going but then if it's essentially just directly out of my analog conversion then it's like better because i'm not going to another unit to go through that to the speakers i'm just going straight to the speakers. exactly right yep and you're the thing that i really like about it is um you can literally just have a single ethernet cable that's all you need that it gets its power right. does everything so you don't have to have you know the monitor controller that i had before this was like the giant you know had like the cable wrap thing around it of mm-hmm. this yeah, like, yeah, one yeah. inch thick bundle of <laughs> cables that you're like right. trying to move around on your desk and you yeah. know, knock over the usb hub or whatever like, right right Ugh. right yeah, no, no, no. That's that's going to be good. That's going to be good. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting the Dave to come over and and to finalize it. Oh, I've got. I've already got the uh, the bread two thing. Why do I keep blanking on what the hell it's called? I'm like, <laughs> it's uh, very. Uh, got to know the name lo- of it. Lo- for Christ's sake. Yeah. Red line. Red lion. <laughs> the red did. Uh, the, the red lion. Line? It's the you know the. It's got the analog A to D. And it's got the, it's taking over one of the RedNet 5s. Would it be the Red 8 line? It's 16 channels though, yeah. Hang on oh, 16 line? Red then? 16 line, that's what I'm getting. Oh yeah, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, actually the R1 will be controlling that. That's what your right. your monitor outputs will go yeah, from that. Yeah. Amazing. I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to the upgrade. I'll make sure, you know, as my marketing guy duties, I'll make sure that we get some photos and videos for the for the listeners out there to check out what the studio looks like with everything yeah. installed. It's a really cool looking studio. Like like I said, man, I really like the uh, the aesthetics of it. it looks yeah, really yeah. Cool. Well, you know, aesthetics are uh, part of the deal for me. You've got to have a place that feels inviting and creative and vibey and all that. You know, I just hate going into studios when they're like, you know, dentist surgeries. <laughs> yeah. Just like, you know, if we can do this the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Vocals in there. Go. Yeah. Go. Oh, One more yeah. take. <laughs> you have a stopwatch out. Yes. <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. That's, my, that's my producer technique. Wrong. No Grammy for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Is your studio in your in your home as well? Are you like uh living kind yeah, of I live in a like a it's like a ranch house in the forest, so I just, you know. I've got two studios. There's one in, I had used to work in the garage, converted mm-hmm. that garage into a, a writing room. And then now I rent that out to another producer. And then Amazing. my my room that you've seen is is in my kind of main part of the house now. Yeah. And then I have like a back room that's more of my like den lounge kind of TV room, I guess, when I'm actually living and not working. 
<laughs> yeah. Most of the studio, most of the house is a studio at this point. So yeah. <laughs> so I have to say, I, I think that that wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be a bad thing. No, 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 no. It works now, especially after I've after, now I'm divorced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be a bone it's of a li- contention. A little problematic say. when I was married, but you know, at that point, yeah. I just stayed in the stu- in the garage. Are there any records out there with uh, like somebody screaming in the background about <laughs> cables on the floor? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you play it in reverse, you yeah, can if you hear. Play it in reverse, you can hear my lawyer talking to her, her lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. And on that note, uh, I think we'll we'll wrap it up. I think it's been a, a really great chat, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man. And uh, I'm super looking forward to you know when everything settles down and we can kind of be out and about again to coming mm-hmm. in and doing some some video, maybe an interview and yeah. maybe an overview of the studio and everything. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tom. It's really great to meet you and to chat with you, and, and definitely uh, would love for you to come and check it out in in the flesh, in the human flesh, at some point <laughs> when we're allowed, when our overlords tell us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, appreciate it, man, and uh, I'll keep you posted on the upgrade and all that.